Hello and welcome to this brand new session of the Silmarillion Film Project. I am your co-host Dave Kale, and I'm excited to tell you that tonight we have beginning our script discussions. That's right. This, uh, I believe I heard the 24th session of season five. Not quite thousands for film film alone, but uh, we're we're now solidly into the triple digits, I would think. Yes, yeah, definitely so. solidly in the triple digits. But we'll we'll get there. We will make the th- we will hit a thousand. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll be... probably before we destroy the ring, I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Equally, equally, um, equally uh, grave endeavors. Those two things. Uh, absolutely. Anyway, as you can uh, hear and see, if you're joining us on the live stream, because we're no longer just a podcast, we're That's now right. a live stream. Totally we always sophisticated. Live stream, yeah. But yeah. officially a live stream. But as Absolutely. you can see and hear, uh, I'm joined by uh, three other uh, folks tonight. As always, we have the Tolkien Professor Corey Olson and uh, increasingly regular guests, uh, basically co-hosts at this point, <laughs> uh, Marie Prosser and Nick Palazzo. And, I mean, you guys are always here, so. Well, it's it's only because they do all the work. Really, is That's the true. is the primary reason why they're here. Uh, not, the, not all, not all. <laughs> well, there are other people doing a lot of work. That is true. That is true. And it, it all, so it only seemed appropriate to ask them to do more work. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that just it, it does. It seems the perfectly fitting reward, of course. Um, yes. Yeah. So, how are ten- you guys doing, by the way? Good, we're, thank we're, you. <laughs> We just wrapped up our script discussion for episode eight, so yeah, we're doing God, we're doing so you, pretty well. You guys are managing to stay ahead of us there, so that's that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, we're we're taking off a week, um, uh, well, uh, two weeks actually, because I'm going to be out of town. Um, but uh, the yeah, we're hoping to stay well ahead of you guys, so we have plenty of time to write the hey. <laughs> It's Wally. Hi, Wally. <laughs> oh man, yeah. It's 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 not as as exciting as Ness's mostly unclad Twitch debut. <laughs> yes. What is <laughs> exactly? Um, I I gotta tell before, before we uh, we get too deep into this, Karita. I know you're here. And I want you to want to let you know that you have missed your chance so because true. this episode would have been your perfect opportunity. I just realized this, what, two days ago, would have been your perfect opportunity to layer in all kinds of seven brides for seven brothers <laughs> influences and references. Yeah, well, I was saying, Karita, at, at the very least, I think we still have the opportunity to put them in brightly colored shirts and color code <laughs> some of our characters, which actually could be really handy in this episode, I think. So, uh, you mm. know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, Karita, there's a dance scene in a barn and everything. I mean, it's yep. it's barn yeah. raising. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it's 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 pretty it's pretty classic right there. Uh, absolutely. Now, so tonight's exciting. We're going to get to talk about. So, not only are we talking about the plot uh, of episode four, as we've been uh, discussing the plots along the way, uh, but this time we also have um, uh, we also have a script uh, draft to discuss, which is awesome. Uh, so, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to talking about. It. I enjoyed reading the script, um, and uh, we'll get back to that. So, let's start. With a couple quick announcements, and then uh, and then we'll dig into things here. So, 
Uh, two event-related announcements. One is uh, for two days from now, TexMoot is happening this weekend on Saturday, February 13th. Still time uh, to register. This is a virtual moot. Um, of course, our regional moot program normally is about, uh, you know, a, a facilitating uh, local get-togethers in different parts of the country. Of course, we haven't been able to do that for a year now, uh, but we do have a couple of our uh, sort of longest-running regional moots, which are still organizing virtually this year. Uh, So we have a digital moot, uh, which is... Still hosted by the TexMoot team, even though we all just have to pretend that we're in Texas. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a great time. We've got a lot of people coming to TexMoot this weekend. Uh, so some some great presentations going on, uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. So that's this Saturday, February 13th. Admission is only 15 bucks, 10 bucks for undergrads, uh, or students, I think, generally. Uh, so uh, definitely uh, join us if you can. Um, and again, that's uh, that's two days from today on February 13th. Also, MythMoot is coming soon. MythMoot 8 is going to be happening in June. Uh, registration is not open yet, so this is a little bit of a, a little bit of a tease for MythMoot. Um, but um, we have speaking of Karita, there's the immortal picture of Karita playing the part of Frodo being galloped towards the Ford in our reenactment a couple years back. Um, but uh, we are doing uh, Mythmoot this year on uh, for, you know, June 27th. Um, sorry, June 24th, 27th uh, are our dates. Um, and sorry, I'm on the guest page. This is the page I wanted. June 24th to 27th. Um, uh, uh, Mythmoot 8, The World Ahead is our theme. Uh, you can see our guests, as I was just showing, Dr. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, uh, the author of The Dark Fantastic, Carl uh, Hostetter, who is, of course, the editor of the new Tolkien book being released in June that very month, uh, and Brenton Dickinson, one of our Signum faculty and a wonderful C.S. Lewis scholar, going to be coming and talking about C.S. Lewis and the Inklings. So um, this is going to be uh, a really, really fun myth boot. Let me explain briefly about how we're doing MythMoot because, of course, still a lot of uncertainty about stuff. Our plan is we're going to be releasing online registration for MythMoot, but we are not yet 100% giving up on the possibility that we might be able to get together. So um, we're going we're gonna to make that determination at the end of March. We have a definite time where we're going to make that determination one way or the other. But we're going to open uh, the registration for online enrollment so you can enroll at either one of the two enrollment levels that we had at last year's Digital Moot, uh, which is the Mootcast one, which is so that you can uh, you can sign in and you can either watch the sessions live or you can get the recordings afterward. The Mootcast is especially good if you don't have time uh, to not actually be with us during all the days, you know, that weekend to be kind of part of the synchronous experience. Um, but Moot Hub is the one which, it, if you can, so you can not only attend the sessions, but you can also be part of the community events and, uh, you know, the, the, the hangouts and stuff. It's a really wonderful uh, four-day experience there um, with everybody around. So um, Moot Hub attendee or uh, registrants will, ha- if we are able to do anything in person, we'll have the opportunity to do uh, an upgrade to add that later on. But we're definitely going to be, we know we're definitely going to be doing uh, the, vir- the two virtual levels in any case, one way or the other. So we're going to start registration uh, for that pretty soon. Um, but um, anyway, uh, that so that's um, uh, 
that just save the date there, June 24th to 27th. Registration should be open soon. So that is the second announcement. And third announcement, this, the some film script discussion for Episode 9 is going to be on Sunday, February 21st. Um, that is, what is that? Next weekend, right? Next Sunday. So Sunday week uh, now at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can uh, tune in for uh, tune into that on uh, twitch.tv slash SignumU if you want to join the, uh, join in there. Of course, you should also, if you have thoughts or ideas about Episode 9, uh, you can also post on those in the discussion boards. All right, so that's the stuff that is coming up here in the film film world. Now let's get into episode four, episode four called Unwelcome. Um, and uh, if you want to see the draft copy of the script that we're going to be talking about, you can go to the Signum forums in the Film Film Project. Click, click on the script forum. Click on season five and you will find it. Uh, script discussion, season five, episode four. Uh, you'll be able to find the script there. And there's a direct link uh, here, which is going to be a little bit harder if you're uh, watching this on YouTube or something, but it's here and you can copy it if you can see the PDF. So um, that's where you can find uh, your copy of the, uh, your copy of the script. Of course, our Signum forums are where, you know, forums.signumuniversity.org uh, in the film film section, film film project section is where all the work goes on here uh, for this project. So definitely want to point people in that direction. Now, episode four. So let's, Remember where we ended up, because I always I'm very forgetful and it's been like weeks since we talked about it. So episode three, um, actually, okay, so hang on. The death of Bayor. The death of Bayor, right. So we had episode one, Bayor and the people arriving, right? And in the end, choosing to go to Nargothrond with Finrod, we had the big meeting between Bayor and the house of Bayor and Finrod, and they choose to go to Nargothrond. And then, and also, meanwhile, uh, Arathel is planning to leave, right? She's, she's... You know, he leaves. having discussions with Targan and saying, I'm going to I'm going to go. Right. Episode two. Oh, yeah. Is when she actually departs. Right. So that's when she actually departs and has issues. Right. Gets separated from folks and she thinks they're dead and they think she's dead and she goes on uh, or at least she's lost. And they don't know where she's gone. Uh, and um, and then we. Um, but that and, and that is the main plot, right? That, that, the A plot was the Aradel yes. plot of that one, right? And of course, she ends up in an Elmoth, and we had we ended that with a meeting between her and Aeol, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the B plot was in Nargothrond, right? The uh, the yes. Beor and the and the people settling in in Nargothrond, and uh, uh, and uh, and and yeah, so then that was good. And we've got. Um, and he's beginning they're beginning to 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 get some suspicions about the whole mortality gig right yeah. especially as yeah. uh uh Beor is like getting ready to hand things off to his heir uh you know he's preparing his successor and stuff which Finrod doesn't get and all that kind of thing and then episode 3 we had um the death of Beor right is the a plot he's failing and Finrod can't handle it and has no idea what's going on uh, and we talked about some of the different ways in which um some of the different ways in which the elves would sort of try to would comprehend basically what was happening with the decline uh, of Beor of old age being the first time they'd ever seen that. Uh, and, uh, and so then finally Beor dies and we see Adonel take over as the leader of the people. And meanwhile, we have Aravel and Aeol deciding to tie the knot, right? Uh, and uh, having a, 
Something like 80% happy, 20% creepy kind of, you know, get together there. Um, but she, she's changing him already. She's gonna, right. right. I mean, he's, he's a little rough around the edges, right? But, yeah, yeah undoubtedly, undoubtedly. He's she's, discovering that he needs her. Yeah, she's got it under control, I think. Yeah. There's measurable progress. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. And so... Okay. See, look, I did remember. How about that? How about that? So, in episode four, we bring in our next set of humans. We bring in the second people. We bring in the Haladin. Um, And this is both the A and the B plot. So, now, this was clearly the most complicated element of this episode, right? Um, You know, we talked about this a little bit last time in the last session when we were doing the script, or not the script, the, um, what are they, the casting, right? Because, you know, when we got to Holith and I was like, okay, so how old is Holith when we need to cast her? And, and, you know, Marie's all like, 30 and 16. And I'm like, okay, 30 and 16. 55. And 55, right, yeah. Uh, and the, like, 30 and 55, I was pretty sure we could handle. The 16 was the bigger challenge. Um, I now understand more clearly what you guys were talking about with that and certainly the challenges with this. Um, though I have to admit, um, just on a side note to address that issue from last time, reading through the script, on the one hand, obviously having different actresses, you know, like a 30-year-old actress and a and a and a teen actress playing Holith, it's going to make it easier, like it's going to make it simpler, like if there's a, actually a different person on screen, there's less of a chance that we're, you know, who's at, who's the centerpiece, there's less of a chance that we're going to get um confused by which time period we're in uh there. But at the same time, it kind of felt to me like that would be weirder. Like, actually reading the script, I was like, I'm not sure how... I mean, it could work, I suppose. But it kind of felt to me, actually, like it would be more natural to try to, you know, make it work, you know, with somebody who could be, you know, like an actress in her 20s who could, you know, fake 18 and also fake 30, basically, seemed like the easier way to go. But, um we consider digital aging. Well, see, di- digital aging is, yeah, we, 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 we talked about it a that. little bit. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. And that's one of the reasons why we weren't going to worry when we had to, like, come back to somebody. So, like, 30-year-old Holith and 50-year-old Holith doesn't bother me, right? Like, we, yeah. like that, that I think we can handle digitally, right? Yeah. Um, but, um, and, you know, the only times, Dave, that I was suggesting last time, and you couldn't be with us last time, that we actually really need a different actress is like with the two different um, um, uh, and- Andreths. Yeah, the two different Andreths, mm-hmm. right? Because we've got Andreth, like the young teen prodigy taking over as leader and saying we need to leave Nargothrond. And then we've, and, and, and then, you know, falling in love with, uh, with Ignor. And then we've got the, you know, much older woman who is, st- you know, in still in many episodes and doing the 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 actual Athrobeth with Finrod, uh, and then you know going up and being, uh, you know, not dying but 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 uh, you know still being around in the battle at the end. It seemed like we we would need two actresses for that. But anyway, Holith, I was less convinced that we needed two actresses after reading this. It kind of seemed to me like it might just be weird to have two actresses like. It's one thing to have like a young person and then you jump up to the old, but like going back and forth scene by scene like that. I don't know. 
kind of seemed to me like it might feel weird, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that's that's not our department again. Right. So you know, right. as part that's not my department. Sir. Right. Right. <laughs> we will leave it up to Hawk on how we want to handle yes. it. Yes. Um, one of the reasons why we wound up in the situation that you know that, that brought this on was that in order to okay, so we had a problem. We had to introduce the Haladines' plight mm-hmm. in at the stockade near the beginning of the episode. We had right. to introduce their conflict, right. right? The whole siege problem. Right. Yeah. Which means yeah. that that has to start in the first act. Right. But if we do that, that means we would have maybe a scene to introduce, you know, younger Haleth and to introduce the people not in this dire circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um. So, and, you know, like, there was a strong push to want to, like, really dig into what their life is like, right? Because we didn't really get a chance to see what the people of Bayer's life, when we had, like, what, two scenes of what right. the... Of them, like, Bayer on the road and stuff, yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and this is this is human life. This is settled human life. Mm-hmm. And we wanted a chance to, to illustrate that. Right, right. No, and I agree that the Holodin are really good choice for that um mm-hmm. you know with the, when we get to the peop- those who shall become the people of hador um we the the emphasis is all on like their alliances right not on like yeah. their daily life exactly yeah. um so we are going to get some you know in the uh in the unfriendship episode we'll get some like mm-hmm. life on the road with them right so we'll get to see a little bit of that yeah. but still it's i mean i i agree I, I mean i like the idea of like you know the homesteading holiday right setting up their yeah. you know their encampment and and all that i mean that that's that i agree that was nice and as uh, as Stephen h is pointing out of course we, we would uh we would hardly have had any chance to build up any emotional attachment to haldod and haldar uh had right. we had we started with that you know we'd barely have time to introduce them by name before they would run out yeah. to their deaths. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely is see the issue what there. happens, but right. we do get to spend time with them after because of the flashback. Right. right. Had there been no flashback, their deaths would have been much later in the episode, maybe the midpoint or something. Right. right. And therefore the siege would have been how they got into this predicament in this stronghold. Right. Instead, we're jumping in right at the point that they've been pinned down for a long time right and they're now desperately going to try and break the siege right because one of the problems that i was having was showing on screen this siege going on for weeks right right you know like it, it it would seem really outlandish i think well and especially since you I mean, there aren't that many, like, incidents in it. You know, I mean, there's the mm-hmm. death of Haldad and Haldar. That's important. You know, there's Haleth being determined and plucky and keeping the people going, which is important, right? But mm-hmm. but I agree, it would have felt like a strain to drag that on the whole time. I guess when when 
I really liked the beginning. I mean, I really liked the idea of opening in the siege and basically starting the episode with the death of Haldad and, and Haldar. That seems to me to work in a, in a bunch of different ways. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. Because, I mean, it's certainly attention-grabbing. Like, who are these people and why are they all dying is kind of a fun way to start the episode. Um, but, um, uh, but, of course, also, I really like the... Um, uh, I mean, the, how it kind of sets up uh, Haleth. I mean, th- there's another. I mean, the death of Haldad and Haldar, in a sense, is the beginning of Haleth's story, right? So, in as much as this right. episode is primarily, you know, Haleth is really the star of the episode. Um, you know, her her leadership life begins when Haldad and Haldar die. So, again, starting off the episode with that, it made a lot of right. sense. W- when I read the first scene. What I expected to happen, because, of course, I knew from the casting discussion, the spoiler about there being flashbacks. So I was I was prepared for a flashback to 16-year-old Haleth. Um, what I expected to happen was that we would start with the scene, you know, the, 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 the scene in the siege and the, the tragic death of Haldad and Haldar. And then we'd flash back and the flashback would, like, continue until we caught up with where we were at the beginning, you know, like halfway or third, two thirds of the mm-hmm. way or something through the episode. And then we would continue so that basically the whole, you know, contiguous time, uh, of the actual siege would in fact only be like a third, maybe of the, of the episode. Um, but it would be like that opening scene and then the last third of the episode. And then we'd be doing So even if the, even if the flashback lasted a while, it would, it would sort of get it. That's what I was expecting. So I was surprised when it kept jumping back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was, I thought the most, the, the most, uh, sort of, uh, daring choice, right. In the structure of the episode. Mm-hmm. It's definitely the most confusing thing that's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly. So, I, I do want to to address the confusion thing, okay? Um, because on paper, I feel like it looks a lot more confusing than it is, um, mostly because the entire present day plot, present day, right, takes place within that enclosure, right, right, inside right? the stockade, yeah, with people who are differently aged and dirtier, and you know, like like everybody's really rough. At, right. at the point that we're seeing them, right. you know, as opposed to seeing them, you know, healthy and celebrating and, you know, like that wall isn't up yet. And so, like, it will be pretty clear. No, I agree. I mean, I was definitely thinking it was more confusing to read than it would be to see. No question. Yeah. Because I kept having to just, like, look at the date. Be like, wait, which date was that? Okay, no, this is the yeah. early date. Again. Okay. Yeah. Whereas, again, yeah, no question. Like, you know... Are they being attacked by orcs? Are they not being attacked right. by orcs? It's like a pretty clear visual cue, right? right? Uh, right. So yeah, no, that, that I, I I don't think I. It's not that I think they're going to get them mixed up exactly, mm-hmm. right? That they're going to think they're in one place when they're in the other. Um, yeah. But the 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 kind of let me back up a step. And ask this question, or and sort of approach this a different way. What is the goal of the flashback? Mm-hmm. I mean, we already talked about establishing certain things, right? Showing, you know, how these, uh, you know, plucky humans, 
you know, carve out a living for themselves in these lands. And also, I mean, I would add, like, how rough and wild the lands are, right? This is really like homesteading on the frontier. It's not like, ah, now you are in the safe and domesticated lands, you know, you know, beneath the umbrella of the protecting Eldar, right? That is not the situation that they're facing here. Um, So, and and I think that's important to show. I think that that really establishes something about the state of Beleriand and, and it sets up relations. There's a very, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. There's a very Boonesboro feel mm-hmm. to what they're doing here. Like it's very they've come through the Cumberland Gap and they're setting up this this home in a place that nobody they know has ever been. Right. You know, right. or nobody they've even heard about has ever been. You right. know. Um Yeah. But one one of the goals was to make the transition from independent homesteads to a united group of people. Right. And um, when they're all stuck in the stockade fighting, it's kind of obvious they're going to have to work together to make this happen, right? Mm-hmm. But earlier, before they're in a desperate situation, if we see that they're very independent people, we see what the resistance to that is. Like each right. one has their own homestead and they have to live their own lives and keep to themselves. Right. Another thing I was really concerned about was the characterization of Halleth. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can tell the audience that she's a great leader and everybody follows her. Right. right? We can tell them that. But showing the flashback stuff allows us to see that. Mm-hmm. So when they're building the stockade and, and they're building the, the hall to protect themselves from the vampires, right? Um... Like she's do. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. She's everywhere. She's everywhere. Like she, like any time that something needs to be done, she's there helping people and showing people what to do. She's not shirking from the you know the women's work, right? But she's right. also not afraid to jump in and lend a hand. But you know when when the in the building work, and there's a scene, and I love the scene. Um, that Marie wrote between her and her, between Halleth and her father, um, where d- despite his denials, I think that um, that that Haldad is a little deep in his cups at that point, um, <laughs> and he he expresses how proud he is of her, which is really poignant because we know he's dead, right? Right. He's already died before we get right. there. Yes. Yes. Right. And. You know, and that the people look up to her even at that age, mm-hmm. and that was something you guys had asked for was for her to have shown herself to have those qualities right. well before we get it, we get here. So I wanted to make sure that that um, we had the time to to show that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. No, I think that's great. I mean, I do like that. Sorry. Marie, go ahead. Go, no, you go. You go first. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, and I like that. And I was in that scene with Haldad uh, at the at the dance, right? One of the one of the, my favorite parts of that was her, like, not just her not dancing, but like the reason she wasn't dancing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's this sense. At least the sense that I got from that, you know, was not just like, uh, you know, it wasn't like I don't like boys or something like that. Instead, it was mm-hmm. like. 
I have a higher calling here, right? Like I'm not about mm-hmm. this. Like you know that sense that sense that I mean she she seemed in the script to exude this. Even, you know, there at the age of 18, when her father was still alive and everything, this sense of, like, you know, I am looking out over my people and, you know, like, my only reward is to see them all safe and happy and, you know, and that's, that's great. Like, that's, I, I, I really, really like that. That's, you know, the, you know, that her, and especially the way that Brill, her friend, was like, you know, this this sort of queer foil to her, you know, who was, you know, kind of, um, operating you know more like you know an 18 year old girl should you know is supposed to be uh, you know and her brother Haldar as well um you know so mm-hmm. we saw like you know the youth of the people acting in appropriately youthly ways you know at the mm-hmm. at the at the at the dance um but yet she's different but she's you know she's she's her her difference i fa- i i found it very appealing i thought that that worked really well uh the mm-hmm. way that that was set up by by the way, it was only during the discussion of this episode that I realized that Haldad is dad of the Hals, his <laughs> daughter Haleth, and his son Haldar. Yeah, he's the dad of the Hals, and yeah. so of course the running gag was because we didn't have a name for the the friend or for her friend's father yet, right? And so we were saying that that's Galdad and Galeth. <laughs> 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 right, right. Marie was I, not I, encouraging me in this. In this <laughs> at all. I wisely allowed Harangil to name Brill's father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that was a you mean instead of Nick is, is 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 what yeah. you're saying? Yes. Yeah, yes, yes absolutely. Not right. yeah. yeah, no, that's I, that, um, that I, is. I great. I <laughs> I gratefully accepted. A better suggestion from her. <laughs> yes, that seems there's, that seems prudent. There's some supervision in the writer's room. <laughs> yes. Well, the supervision's mostly Nick. So. <laughs> yes, but Yikes. Nick is wise enough to know that he also knows that he shouldn't be naming things. Yeah. Very good. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. We so. Um, is is there anything more? general about this that you want to talk about before we like actually dive into the the stuff I wanted to say one thing about the intercutting yeah and yeah it's that when you see people in a refugee kind of situation where they're in dire straits and everything looks pretty bleak it's difficult to remember that they're people like Mm. the more desperate their circumstances the more dehumanized they become yeah. And as these are characters we haven't seen before, it would be very easy for the audience to just kind of disconnect from them. Mm-hmm. So by yeah. continually cutting back into the part of the story where they're very human and living normal lives, it helps to remind the audience how human they are in mm-hmm. the desperate flight scene mm-hmm. is the goal. Like that was something in my mind I was yeah. trying to make sure we never lost sight of them as people and they didn't just become something to kind of gawk at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, either either Rihanna and Marie, I, I don't remember which of you, uh, reminded me of my very favorite episode of Firefly, Out of Gas, which mm-hmm. does something very similar. The, the, the three oh, different, yeah. yeah. The intercuts between three different time periods. Right. Um, right. And this, there's a lot of cinemato- uh, uh, cinematography that's helping them because all of the those lighting in the, yeah. mm-hmm. are in the same space. So it's that's a lot more difficult yeah. than what we're doing here. Um, but it works really, really well because, like, it starts off with a birthday party 
you know, while we're also getting scenes of Mal like struggling to hang on to life long enough right. to get bleeding to through back. the grating in the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I. Yeah. So I mean, I think it can work. So. So you know, one thing. One thing I like about, um, or one thing that I think will help here, is uh, the presence of the stockade and the mm-hmm. hall mm-hmm. in the sense that they, um, it, that will provide like kind of a, an anchor or a visual cue for where yeah. are we and what's going on here because we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll the, I guess the present day mm-hmm. or at least mm-hmm. the opening scene it's finished and we know uh, and they're in, they're in the siege and then in the other flashback scenes we'll see we'll see it in various stages of, of yeah. um, completion yeah. and that's, so I think that'll help um, yeah that reminds I mean, me of the other problem we have going oh i was just gonna say it, it can be like the cutting back and forth can be a little disorienting but i i think i think it can work here uh mm-hmm. and it's kind of like it, it is kind of like it's innovative and i sort of enjoy sort of i sort of enjoy the parallel storylines of Hala. like it's mm-hmm. pretty interesting it's like a neat yeah. way to like it's a neat way to get us up to speed on this character in one episode really fast right. yeah yeah and um, another problem that we had was the fact that we were supposed to show Sauron putting the spell of not quite bottomless dread on elk captive elves and Angband. We just when when we were starting to look at it, I was like, we don't have time to do that. Like, we there's no way. How could we? Pop? And then it dawned on me how bad the movie Twilight is and how we could fix it. We could fix Twilight. And so we did. Okay. Uh, I think a better way of expressing that idea might be that Steve H. had a suggestion earlier on of a scene where Sauron would appear in a menacing way Mm -hmm. among Mm -hmm. the men where it wouldn't be really clear what his goal was, but he would be trying to draw someone out to presumably something dastardly to have happen to them. And so he had painted this whole scene and said it would be great if we could work that in some way just to kind of add a horror element to mm-hmm. the story mm-hmm. um, rather than have Sauron be such a calculating long-term guide, have him do one thing that would have like horror in the moment to mm-hmm. kind of capture that. So... That is the suggestion that got worked into this episode, which I think, um, oh, he mentioned in the comments, the name of the story that he based it on is Where You're Going, Where Have You Been? Yeah. Um, so it's a short story that's horror, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Psychological Something. horror. It's not. Really yeah, exactly. Right. Well, suspense, maybe. I don't think yeah. horror is maybe the right word, but something in that genre. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was his contribution to this episode was right. to say we should have that aspect of Sauron's character. Yeah, I mean, so the thing that I liked most about Sauron's uh, presence was the scene with um, Sauron and Bulldog at the end, right? Sort of mm-hmm. the uh, the way that that provided the opportunity to show, you know, he's, on the one hand, it kind of looks like Sauron isn't accomplishing anything, like Bulldog isn't wrong. In a, I mean, at least it looks that way, right? I mean, like, what did he do? Like, what, what in fact did he affect by doing this? Um, but the way that Sauron is sort of showing, like, you know, look, I've got 
a longer term plan than you have. Right. And all you've done is managed to undermine everything that we were attempting to accomplish here, you know, and that yeah. I've been working on. Um, and the idea that Sauron would just kind of show up and, you know, in order, even if he gained nothing other than just, you know, learning about them and, 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 and yeah. figuring out how things worked in, you know, in, and, you know, so that he can get a clearer idea that just, that seems like a very Sauron sort of approach just to sort of scout things out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had to have motivation for him to do what he was doing other than just, it would be cool on screen. Right. And the problem is he is Sauron. So if he wanted these people dead, they would all be dead. Right. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. So there had to be that, what is he gaining and why is he there? And so he only shows up after they kill one of his vampire spies. Right. Right. And so he's he's clearly there to just it observe gets his these attention. people. Yeah. He just wants to figure out who these people are and what they're what they're up to. So he's kind of just in observation mode and doesn't have a clear goal in the beginning. Right. Yeah. So that was one of the things that I felt could be sort of clarified a little bit and I can imagine this actually I'm trying to think of a way to kind of strengthen this because I I think that it could be strengthened in a way which would actually uh, strengthen two different elements Um, one element being the Sauron plot that is what was still a little bit unclear like why did he leave like what did he I mean I could figure out what he was doing but like why did he stop doing it that was the thing that I was briefly confused by like I mean I get that you know I get you know he wanted Holith to come out and she didn't come out and you know and so like Holith's defiance of Sauron was obviously an important thing but then he just kind of like peaced out and uh, mm-hmm. you know didn't seem to have anything more to do with it. Um, and again, it's yeah, you know, it's easy for me to believe that he has a longer term plan, you know, that it's, you know, he's gone back and he's going to, he's going to continue thinking about things, but that plot line didn't seem to come to a, like a really clear, you know, kind of like mini climax or, 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 or clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there was, it came to a point of conflict, right? It came to a, a sort of crisis with Sauron and Haleth. Um, but again, it wasn't clear, like it was clear that he did have something in mind and that he was planning something. And then it sort of seems like he kind of drops it. And so this brings me back to then the other point as well, which is one of the one of the other places that where I felt that I felt could be done a little bit better that I think would would make me even happier with the way the flashback thing works is kind of stitching together the end of the one and the beginning of the other a little bit more clearly. And Nick, I think in particular, I mean, the parallel with the out of gas firefly episode is a really good one, right? I mean, it's, you know, the, the, um, you know, the sort of not the deep flashback scenes, but the older flashback scenes end with, you know, where Mal's journey across the ship you know, yeah. staggering and bleeding begins, right? Um, right. Uh, so the 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 you know you get this really satisfying. Not only okay now, like as we're going through, I can understand more and more what you know has been happening from the beginning, you know, and why Mal is acting like this. Um, but you get this really satisfying re- resolution where everything really kind of clicks together, right? Mm. And I felt like that was something that was still not really quite happening yet. That, that, that kind of clicking between the beginning of the battle 
uh, you know the 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 start of the of the of the siege plot line and the end of the flashback plot line and i'm not saying they have to it has to be like you know it has to the one has to end with the scene before you know the other one in 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 that kind of a, a an exact sort of way um but they one effect that i f- was feeling and it's hard cuz i mean i only got a chance to read it once and whenever i only read something once i feel like it's not really enough to really get it. But mm. uh, so I might have just sort of missed things. But on my first reading of it, I, I, I was kind of left with a little bit of the feeling that the the back, the the flashback it accomplished many of those sort of like atmospheric character, character building mm. things and, 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 and had cool incidents and stuff. But it felt like it kind of petered out almost like it didn't. It didn't come okay. to a point, and it, so if that could so so if that could come to a clearer point, and ideally that clearer point also kind of sharpens and clarifies Sauron's actions there as well, um, and helps to lead in more clearly to kind of stitch together a little bit more clearly to the um, uh, to the the beginning of the battle, right? The beginning of the siege. Yeah. Are you asking for Sauron to drop the threat that something else is coming? Because the thing is that Sauron's not going to send no. the orcs. He's not going to send the, the orcs. Siege. Yeah, yeah. No, no, he's not. And it's also not going to happen for twelve years. Right. Happen. There's still a big gap. Yeah. So, yeah. So I. That's why I don't have a clear connection. Right. Now, um, yeah. And instead, I went with connecting Brill's relationship with her father to their role in the siege and yeah. um, Halas claiming of her father's spear as her own weapon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as the significant ending point for her story. Right. Right. Because she uses but, it to drive Baldog off the, off the wall. One of the things that I thought was important was to have um, Brill's father whose name is slipping my mind at the moment uh, which is probably why we don't let me name things um, <laughs> that he supports her um, it, against in the fight against Baldog because like let's be real in a in a straight up fight between Halith and Baldog Baldog kills her right mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah the, her strength is not merely in her physical strength, which I'm sure is is considerable. But her real strength is that her people will follow her into any situation. Right. The, 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 the primary strength of Halith is not that she is the greatest, most epic warrior ever to live. Like, that. that's mm-hmm. not the point of her. Um, again, not to say that she's any slouch as a warrior, but, um, right. but the, yeah, establishing her as merely epic in that kind of purely physical sense is I agree. She's not Gilgamesh. No, no. Yeah. No, I mean, nor is she even like, nor is she even Hurin uh, necessarily. Mm. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, it is with her. It's primarily about the strength and indomitability of her will. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, yes. coupled with strength. I mean, she's, she's more than competent. Um, um, but I agree. She's not just a physical superhero. Um, and I, 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 I do think that that's important. Um, because, of course, whenever someone is a physical superhero, it makes it harder um, to 
I think it 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 can actually undermine the leadership uh, element of it in a sense, right? Because it's just like, is it are people just intimidated because this person can break you like a twig, or you know, is is it you know that this person is a great leader? Um, to use another outside film parallel, this is actually one of the things that I thought they did pretty well in a bunch of them in in the uh, uh, in the Avengers films. Um, Captain America is the leader of the yeah. team and clearly the phys- the weakest of all of them, right? I mean, he can't compete with almost any of the other uh, members. Not, I mean, some of them. But, like, I mean, there's no, he is not more physically powerful than Iron Man or the Hulk or no. any of the rest no. of them, uh, or Thor, and yet he is the, he is the leader of them. So, again, and, and by doing that, they managed to emphasize, you know, like Steve Rogers' leadership skills instead of just, right. I'm the biggest and strongest, so do what I tell you to do. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, that, that that's the point that I think, you know, we, we kind of put Holith sort of into that zone and it, it makes her a stronger character rather than a weaker character. Um, yeah. Yeah. So as to the question of how to tie those two together, why don't we, um, why don't we, what time's it? Yeah. Why don't we talk through like the, the plot going forward? Mm-hmm. And see if that reveals anything to us okay. as as we go through. Does that? Sure, sure. Yeah. So we start out as as we've mentioned earlier. We start out with Haldad is getting ready to lead a charge out onto the field to try to take out Baldog. They can tell he's clearly the leader. That all the other works seem to be terrified of him. That and it's possible that if they can take him out that the the others will not be a cohesive unit anymore and they won't be a problem mm-hmm. which is a good thought right um the problem is that bulldog is a physical superhero yes. and that's yes. not going to work out yeah um we are hinting here we're telling the audience here or hinting yes hinting at Hallis leadership skills because yes. how? Because when she says to him, well, "You're taking my brother, but not me. He has a family. What are you doing?" And he says, "No, no, no. He can't do what you can do." That was my well, we, that was my second favorite uh, moment. By the way, I really liked his his you know because it has the superficial appearance of him protecting her. Like you know, mm-hmm. it has the superficial uh, element of like you are the girl. You should stay in where it's safe, right? right? And yet, it's clear from his words and actions to her that it's actually the opposite of that that he means. Like, no, I'm bringing your twin brother because he's expendable, right? You're not, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, as, as men in these situations clearly are, <laughs> <laughs> right? 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 Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I did really like that element. Um, and of course, she's holding his old spear. Right. While he's saying this to her, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, that. Um, um, I don't know one, if you have her hand it, holding it in the script, but I, yes, you know. I, yeah. I do. At least I think yeah. I changed that. Um, she's supposed to be holding the spear in that scene. Yes. I hope I, I, hope I wrote that in there. Um, yeah. One suggestion on something I could change that might tie things together better is I could make Brill um, Haldar's wife. Mm-hmm. So that. Mm-hmm. Brill would be the mother of Haldod's grandson and Hal's mm. nephew. 
One thing um, that I, I, I do remember passingly noting, especially in like by scene two or three, that there are a lot of characters. Uh, yes. uh, there are a lot of characters. Now, I mean, that there should be a whole bunch of people is fine, right? But there are like yeah. a bunch of named characters who had lines. Um, and a little bit of compression there might make it a little tighter in that way. Mm-hmm. And that way, if saving Brill in the backstory allows something of her brother to live on in the other story, mm-hmm. that might be a more direct parallel that she didn't just save her friend, she saved her future family. Right, and um, especially since, of course, the child, you know, Brill's child is going to become her heir, you know, uh, later on down the road. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. That would make it a little bit more... I don't want to say that, like, saving her friend is a pointless act, you know, if it doesn't accomplish <laughs> something like that. Um, but again, it would, it would make it that moment more clearly weighty. Right. It, mm-hmm. And I had considered doing that at one point while writing this. And I was like, well, let's just see if it works without that. Um, right. But if it didn't, that would be the way I would at right. least compress one element of this to hopefully give you a little bit more of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and actually, you know, I kind of, Another thing that I kind of like about that is that um, I like how that positions Sauron in disguise, right? Mm. Uh, If, like, Sauron in disguise is, like, you know, the stranger that Brill is flirting with, right? Um, You know, if there's this, like, off-side, you know, kind of love triangle-ish thing going on with Sauron that makes his, like, position as, like, devious interloper, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of a little bit, you know, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Not that there's an actual love triangle, but... I was about to say, love triangle with Sauron was not a thing I was intending to write. Hey, love triangle with (laughs) Sauron, absolutely. One thing I would also say... I was getting excited Oh no! So does that make Hella's brother Jacob in this? Isn't Jacob the name of the werewolf Twilight? Yeah. <laughs> so now there will be people who will be Team Sauron. Team Sauron. Next, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And Team Haldar. <laughs> <laughs> that's way funnier. <laughs> that's way funnier. Well, like, like I said, like I said, I was like, we could, we could fix it. Right? Because, like, Edward is clearly abusive and like just talk to- Like, their whole relationship is so toxic, but it's portrayed as it's we're supposed to believe it's this beautiful romantic thing, the love for the ages. And no, it's not. It's terrible, and. What really happens is that he takes her into the woods and he tries to break her brain is what right. happens. Right. That's what happens. That's what happens. Right. Um, now, what is Sauron's goal? Is, is is this for him? Is he seriously just like looking for test subjects? What is his um, goal in breaking her brain? So he's trying to figure out how humans work. Um, okay. He's had lots of experience with elves and he's the one who did all the experimentation to make werewolves happen right um right. so he's just kind of curious so he's so he, he he's, he's conducting field research he's mm-hmm. conducting yeah, field, field research, research and right. he just wants to see what will happen and he's seen what morgoth can do to the prisoner elves mm-hmm. so he's just going to kind of try it out on them he's heard they're very malleable mm-hmm. and um yeah he basically just wants to see if he can take over their minds right. also it's, 
it should be pretty obvious to Sauron who is going to be leading these people eventually. And so he tries twice to get at Haleth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. Kind of just the available there backup plan. Well, I can use you as a guinea pig. Right, right. right. And, well, and, though, and though I would add, again, especially if she is the, uh, you know, likely future wife of Haldar, it makes her a slightly more strategic target mm-hmm. uh, for Sauron as well. Um, uh, yeah, I'm actually kind of liking that more and more the more I think about it. The kind of the efficiency of that is nice. Um, yeah. But um, I was wondering, yeah, sorry, go ahead, as, go ahead. As, as I was thinking about this, I was wondering if it would be possible, uh, and, and I, I'm trying to do this with the least amount of violence to the, the story as it is, if it would be possible for Brill to have an opportunity to betray Haleth in some way, but doesn't because, you know, because Sauron has no no um, ongoing influence there. So it turns um, out to be a spell of slightly insufficient quantity of dread? Yeah. Yeah. Well, be- because, like, it's she's not getting the re-ups, right? Right. Like, Anael is, is getting the re-ups every once in a while with right. uh, with the, uh, Theron Gwethel. Right, the vampiric visitations. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And possibly humans and elves are different, and the reasons on switches back to elves is because it is longer lasting and they're better spies. Even yeah. if nothing happens to Rill, she would die in, you know, 30 more years or something. Right, um, right, right. And think about it. Our brain chemistry changes quite a bit from the time that you're like 18 to the time you're 25 also. <laughs> so, like, on a purely physiological level. It may just wear off. It's exactly right. the kind of research he needs to be conducting, right? Because exactly. this is an entirely new thing. He's got to properly yeah. calibrate as, the quantities of dread involved. As, as, Karita yeah. out, as Karita points out, Sarn's a big fan of the How Stuff Works um, or How It's Made YouTube. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... it's um, and so one of the things... So thing- what <laughs> we're not trying to suggest that people who like those things are in fact Sauron uh, or evil overlords in any degree. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, one of the things that's kind of a fun contrast, right, is that from the perspective of Haleth and the rest of the Haladin, the encounter with Sauron is like a major thing, right? Like some right horribly, like, incalculably powerful evil figure came in among us attempting to do, with some, like, horrible plot to do terrible harm, when it turns out mm-hmm. that for him it was, like, just a lark. He didn't actually have a plan. Tuesday. Right, exactly. It was like, I, was like, I, got, a, I, I got a little time before my next appointment. I think I'll go and, you know, like, you know, do, perform a couple experiments uh, on the... Think about... Yeah. Think about what a blip in the span of his life this is right right you know like he's he hangs out with them for what like a few months and that's nothing to him right right you know he's been alive for all eternity whereas (laughs) for for them this is going to be right this is going to be a this is going to be a scarring experience right and 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 they're going to feel like they 
you know, weathered some kind of like major offensive by the bad guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads me towards maybe some kind of stitching material here. Maybe what's mm-hmm. missing is another scene after Haleth turns Sauron aside. Um, some kind of like, um, I don't know, like we, like, uh, they've already had a foretaste, right? That weird stuff is afoot, right? They, they, they had the whole vampire incident, right? Which was their first yeah. sense of, we have to be on our guard. This is not a safe land that we are in. There's probably more of these freaky things around. Um, we're in danger here and we need to prepare to protect ourselves. Again, one of the things that was, that I felt was, was kind of missing that would make the Sauron story a little bit harder hitting is it's not clear how exactly that impacts the Haladin, right? Mm. I mean, like, she resists him and that's good and it shows us something because about we don't her. See the exactly. We don't see the next thing we know they're under siege, which has technically nothing to do with Sauron's visit, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, which of course isn't obvious. I mean, if we're kind of assuming that they are going to be stitched together in some sense, I bet you that, you know, uh, many test audiences would have assumed that Sauron's next yeah. stage was to send the army of orcs, right? Until we get the scene with Bulldog and Sauron at the end, which might have been simply confusing, I think. again. But, I mean, I already knew that Bulldog and Sauron weren't working together, so, uh, you know, right. I, I had an unfair advantage there as I was reading the script for the first time. But, um, uh, but yeah, if, if there could be some kind of, um, I don't know, some kind of denouement of, that, of the flashback... Um, which, of course, can lead them to the conclusion, like if the vampire initially led them to the conclusion, we're not safe, we need to band together, we need to protect ourselves. The Sauron in disguise incident um, would have led them, I think, to further conclusions along the same lines, right? Like, mm-hmm. we cannot be too careful. And, like, there are, like, the enemy is a wily enemy. They could, they're going to attack us in different ways. They have monsters to send. They can they can change their form. They can do things to our brains. Like, you know, we, uh, you know, constant vigilance, right? They would need to set up some kind of, they would need to set up some kind of like alert network where they can pass information along or something. I I mean, if anything happens, so they're ready for an attack. Is that what needs to happen at the end? Well, I'm thinking they, they have to have a sense that something like this is going to happen. Like, you know, a, a really clumsy way to characterize the kind of thing that seems to me like it would kind of stitch back around to the beginning of the siege is basically a conversation which contains something along the lines of sooner or later they're going to come for us, right? They know that we're here. We know that they're after us. We have to be prepared because some fine day they're going to come and they're going to try to stamp us out. Um, you know, they, they've tried, you know, they sent their monsters, and that's not going to work anymore. Uh, they tried to infiltrate, and we're going to be on our guard against that. You know, the next thing is going to come is probably going to be like you know some giant army of orcs or something, and then you know that's again, obviously that's a really clumsy way to describe. But you see the kind of thing that I mean, right? That mm-hmm. the, the the kinds of lessons that they're taking for us. So not necessarily what they do in response, but what they learn as a consequence and how it prepares them so that we see them not only 
physically prepared in the sense of like we have built a stockade that we can now defend um but they're also sort of psychologically prepared like we knew we were going to come under attack and and we're so not only do we have a the walls built but you you can see at the beginning like we're we knew this was coming right we were ready for this we have you know the stores prepared and we have every you know everything set up and um you know these these orcs are giving us a hard time, but they did not catch us by surprise because, you know, we were ready for this. So um, that would seem to me one way, anyway, that we could kind of bring those together. And but anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, somebody else wanted to add something. I'm trying to, to, to um, just work out the logistics of that, but um, alternatively, could we do something in the scene between Sauron and Bulldog, or possibly additionally, mm-hmm. do something in the scene between Sauron and Bulldog, which reveals that it was known that Sauron had lived among these people, or, or like they were like a pet project of his, an abandoned pet project. Um, because like. Uh, Gothmog likes to destroy Sauron's pet projects, right? We've right. already established that. Right. And through his own arrogance, believes that his far more direct ways are better and more efficient. Right. right. You know, here's right. Sauron doing one of his, you know, namby-pamby long-term plans, right? When, right. in fact, what this needs is, you know, a hammer delivered in just the right place, right? right. Um, problem solved. Um uh, you know, is there a pesky, stubborn, you know, settlement of uh, humans who might possibly cause a problem and clear to be intransigent and, and you know, defending themselves uh, against attack? Uh, so step one, kill them all. There you go. Problem solved. Right. That's Gothmog's approach. Um, uh, so, yeah, if we could. It, that could be worked potentially into the initial conversation with Bulldog a little bit more explicitly, right? To make it, or, you know, Sauron could rub that in his, I mean, he's already rubbing stuff in his face anyway. He could rub that in a little bit more, right? Like, so, yeah, so, so that was your, so that was your plan, right? You know, uh, uh, so Gothmog uh, had a better idea than mine, right? For how to deal with Haladin, did he, right? You know, how, how did that work out for you, Bulldog? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, I can so, make it more explicit conversation. I mean, obviously, I was intending that to be what's going on. Right, right. I wasn't right. sure how much Sauron should be like. As you know, Gothmog's plans are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, well, he can say that in a way that he's that he's being um, he's being he's like look. he's kicking Baldog when he's down too. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so he's it's not that he's telling he's telling this guy something he knows for the benefit of the audience he's telling this guy something that he knows for the benefit of him right like to get a jab in on him um i was looking at the script and where it would have to happen if we wanted to add an additional scene where we went back to um to how maybe howleth having kind of a almost prophetic moment predicting the possibility of a, of a larger and more mm-hmm. direct attack. It would have to take place uh, after Bulldog's been thrown down from the wall and Carinthir has arrived, but before Carinthir starts, like, pulls up and starts talking. Mm-hmm. 
right? There's a, I mean, it's it's the only place that we could really Insert shove something like that yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I the other alternative is is that I can extend the scene where Sauron is chased away. Uh-huh. That they scene go into feels like it needs extending. Yeah. 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 So instead of just saying, like, don't worry, Brill will take you home, then Halith and her dad and her brother can talk about the future. Right. In that yeah. in that particular scene. Yeah. The the only problem is that it takes place right before Bulldog is, is cast off of the off the wall. Right? Like it they would it would like the it, honestly the the fact that they have the short conversation that they do have you know it kind of slow things slows the momentum down a little bit um so you're saying the whole conversation should be pushed a little further like it, end with Sauron leaving the gate and then do another scene and then come back right just like after, really, really after bolt yeah I know I know I know uh, I'm 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 feeling that too. Yes, um, but I, you know, if I were gonna, if I were gonna, if I have to sacrifice, if I had to choose between sacrificing pacing, or 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 the tension, or or having the tension uh, match up, I'm gonna sacrifice pacing. <laughs> like that's of those two it. things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Preserving. And I mean, what's one more additional scene cut in this particular episode? Yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, you might as well get yeah. hanged for a sheep as a lamb at this point, uh, as far as that yeah. goes. And I kind of like her prophecy of the forthcoming, not necessarily prophecy, but her, her prediction of the forthcoming uh, attack happened right after they've won the attack. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of works for me. I like that. Um, uh, rather than it be... Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I think, I think, I think that works. I think that's cool. Um, so sure, that 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 seems like a fine place to add a scene. What we didn't do any explaining of is what on earth are these orcs doing here? Yes. Right? Um, and I think that adding the motivation of it was done specifically to target one of Sauron's pet projects kind of eases that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of course, if, if somebody's, you know, the average viewer isn't paying that close attention to the map where they're going to be like, wait a second. Right. But, it, it, you know, anybody who looks at the map and goes, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> How did they get through the siege? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which, of course, we you know, get referred to several times. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But but yes, it, it is a bit of an issue. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, my initial thought was to move it further north, but then that, I mean, the fact that, like, as it is, the fact that they were able to maintain a siege in that area for that long without Carinthir noticing, even as far away as it is, is mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. to accept. You yep. know? No, I agree. I think that that's, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it needs, there, when there needs to be a geographical shift. No, what I kind of like about the fact is that, the first person on screen actually to voice the question, what was a pack of orcs doing down there attacking those? It's Sauron who voices that question, right? You know, who, who you know, in his conversation with Gothmog, which is kind of fun, right? You know, um, uh, bringing up 
the oddity of a bunch of orcs attacking mm-hmm. and you know at the same time that he's uh uh you know mocking bulldog uh for doing yeah. that and by the way one of the ways in which we can kind of soften um instead of having just sauron saying well i think gothmog's an idiot right like we you know we don't have to have him you know going quite that far he's saying that bulldog is an idiot right right and bulldog of course has just lost and has just been beaten by Gothmog, right? So in critiquing Bulldog, he would almost seem to be agreeing with Gothmog, who just beat him, right? Who's uh, the more foolish? The right. fool or the fool who follows? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so, you know, but obviously his, uh, his, the scorn that he heaps upon Bulldog and Bulldog's failure is obviously designed to kind of, you know, uh, loop back around to Gothmog, but he doesn't have to say that explicitly. Um, you know, to accomplish that. So that, that, that seems to work fairly well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, do we want to talk, do we want to talk about Arathel and Aeol at all before it, uh, it gets too late? Almost. I have a, I have a, I have a crucial yeah. question first, and it comes actually yes. from a suggestion that Karita made earlier on, and this is very important. What happens to Haleth's dog? It vanished, right? So she had a faithful old. dog, and it ran away when the vampire attacked, which is funny. Um, but then it's just gone. Do they eat it? What happens? Well, okay. So the deal is that I know Trish is not actually on this particular conversation. Right. But I felt that explicitly stating that they ate the dog was Right. not be something she would want to be part of some film. Right, right. So there is no explicit statement of that. However, there are no dogs in the there siege, are, are there There are now? no dogs in the siege, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I was afraid of I that. I don't know what happened to them. I was so afraid of that. Yeah, okay. Um, All right. It's a little yeah, sign. So that's what that's... Yeah. Well, or possibly the army's coming in, they've run away, but the refugees mm-hmm. under siege also don't have their dogs anymore. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll get dogs in the near future. So maybe the dogs just ran off into the woods and they'll find some more and everything will be fine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But would you prefer there to be dogs in the um No, there doesn't have to be. I just, you know, them? like... I mean... I, I was if, given if the brief specter of Holith the... with a faithful dog and then, and then the faithful dog vanished and I was like... What happened to the faithful dog? And it, then I feared the worst for the faithful dog. Well, for the one thing, it's dog. 12 years later, so that faithful dog is definitely no more. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. I not, hear that. Not to mention, <laughs> even if it was, if people were in the dire straits that they're in in the siege, I'm afraid. I understand it. They, no, I, yeah. once I thought about it a little bit, as I said, I feared the worst for the faithful dog. And understood why we wouldn't necessarily want to you know have a an old yeller moment in the <laughs> embedded in the middle of <laughs> of, of this yeah. episode yeah, maybe not but uh basically yeah. by not by not showing the dogs i'm inviting the viewers to reach their own conclusions right if i put the dogs in the siege and they're walking around saying we have no food left to eat we have no food left to eat and there's these dogs running around yeah that raises other questions right Right. So I, I avoided. I, I had to deal with one of those, and I just took the dogs out of the scene. Oh. But yeah, I'm thinking people are going to notice that. It's tactful. It's tactful. Because you guys noticed it. And you only yeah, read it once, and you couldn't even see it. <laughs> <laughs> and the dog is definitely there at the beginning of the flashback and at the end of the flashback. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Karina <laughs> says, so, so, so no long shot of an empty dog bed. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, we don't have to. We don't, we don't even have to go there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I see an empty chair chair where Tiny Tim <laughs> sat. With the empty food bowl and the leash curled up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, we will have yeah. then a tacit period of mourning for the faithful yes. dog. A moment of silence for yeah. Hala's faithful dog. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry, guys. They didn't mean to kill her dog. The only... The only, the only, uh, uh, the only consolation is that the the faithful dog will be would not have enjoyed an end on Gortheb very much anyway. So uh, that's true. You know, at the end of the day, okay. All I mean, right. Who does? Well, I know, right? That's exactly it. Okay, so mm-hmm. I, I just I had to ask the question about the dog because that just no, it was that, a good question and important. it raises the point of how grim this is all supposed to be. Right. Right. And I made some. Sister, that I wasn't sure everybody was going to be totally right. cool with. Right. Like I, I, you know, maybe accidentally killed a child during the siege scene. Right. Right. And I made sure he was really cute before we killed him. I did notice that. <laughs> I yeah. did notice like, that. Why do we have this cute, adorable child here? I wonder what he's for. <laughs> I got a bad feeling when he volunteered to be in the other raft. Let me just say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I got a bad Marie feeling. Marie Prosser would kill a child. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Oh, All right. I've but never once in my life killed a child. That's it. That's it. Um, that so, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I think. Um, oh, one th- what okay, last thing. Last thing about uh, in the conversation with Karinthir at the end. Um, I really liked Halith all the way through. I I missed the um, the the like the line right, like the famous line. Um, the, you know, uh, where are Haldad, my father, and Haldar, my brother? Line. You know that like um, is that just is that coming later? I mean, are are, are we going to have a kind of? Ex- I mean, is, is this the end of her exchange with Karanthir? Yeah. Well, isn't that line with the brothel scene? Yeah, no, I'm thinking right. Yeah, no, it is. But oh, basically, okay. I, I thought I read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't mean literally the line. What I mean is, um, you know, Karanthir. In the book, Karanthir demands right that they, you know, it's like, well, you know, you can, you can, you can move up and live as long as you promise, you know, not to. Um, Guilty. Yeah, I mean, she, she doesn't want to. I think I was expecting a little bit more shade from Fight. her. Yeah, from Karanthi. I mean, I, I mean, she does I understand. accuse him of trampling her her dad and her brother. Yeah, yeah, no, there is that. And and my favorite part was when she's like almost reluctant to accept the free meal, and then she's like, "Okay, no, like we're all actually on the brink of starving to death. Maybe we shouldn't say no uh, to the elves' food." Um, uh, but you can, but I, I love the moment where you can see like she wants to, right? She wants to say no, you know, when when, when he offers to feed her. Um, but I'm just thinking of like the the we get a little bit of independence. Um, what I was missing was the um, a little bit more explicit sense the, of I hate like with a passion now. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of of the like, uh, and a little bit more explicit, uh, kind of like proprietary. Like she's clearly resistant to him, right, and wants to be independent and doesn't want to be beholden to him, right. But I felt that I would have wanted to see a little bit more from him of um, not just I admire you for what you did and I, I kind of, you know, want to set you guys up somewhere nice. Um, but a little bit more like I, uh, I'm feeling more proprietary towards you now, right? Like I want to, I want to gather you under my protection um, to make it clear, a little bit clearer what she's objecting to. I think it's possible that she could look merely ungrateful at the end. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, and again, I get it because I know where we're kind of moving with her and with her people mm. and everything. Um, but when he, I mean, Carnathir was kind of like nothing but gracious to them. Um, there was almost nothing objectionable in what he said. Not that I want him to be a jerk completely. I mean, more than Carnathir is always a jerk. Um, but he was actually like pretty low on the Carnathir jerk scale in that scene, um, which is fine. But. Do you see what I'm like, like? His offer wasn't insulting enough. I think that's what and I mean. Any jerk, any jerk points that he loses, hell of gains is basically what you're saying. Kind of, yeah, exactly. I mean, if he just comes, he just rescued them, right? And instead yeah. of being like, "Wow, thanks, you just rescued us. That was fantastic. We'd all be dead if it weren't for you. Thank you, Mister Fancy Rich Elf." Right? Like, you know, like that. You know, like would it have hurt her to say thank you, Mister Fancy Rich Elf? And instead, she's all like, "Well." We totally had that under control. And anyway, and so like, I, I think it, it could be. She, it, it didn't feel like her desire to be independent, dependent of them, was fully justified, right? Like they obviously need protection in that moment, right? And he's offering protection, and she's all like, "No, like we'd rather starve, thank you." Just because I'm like so stubborn that like a and ungrateful. Whereas, if there were a little bit more overt of an overtone of his like, ah, my vassals, like now, mm. like you can take your proper place under my lordship, right. you know, um, you know, clear, basically if, if he made it clearer that there were strings attached to his rescuing mm. them and that she was rejecting he, the strings. And mm-hmm. if he's already treating them like subjects. Yes. 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 A little bit more patronizing uh, by, yeah. by, by current there. Right. Like, not only not only are you I my mean, subject, you've been my subject since you first set foot in my lands. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think right. that's and a key he, point. He does, he does introduce himself as the ruler of all the land. Yeah. 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 From the river to the mountains that they're yes. standing in and they've been living in their whole lives. Yes. So yeah. he does start with that. So this is my land. And she's like, oh, really? Your land? Where were you when these orcs attacked? <laughs> right, right. And <laughs> I, I, I did like that part. Their, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. I did like that. So it you know also, it's this is the epitome of the least jerky Caranthir will be in his entire life. Right. Like mm, in right. the story. Yep. As Tolkien writes it, Caranthir respects her and treats her respectfully, and some of those lines of dialogue are right out of the book. Yeah. Like it is definitely yep. His least jerky moment, mm-hmm. where he's almost Agreed. like, "No, wait, Halif, don't go. I wanted to like see more of you." So right, right. Like I just made a friend, and she left. Right. 
Exactly. Except, of course, like the least jerky he gets is like, you know, I just, I almost had a nice new pet and now she's going away. You know, she ran off. Like that's, um, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. I, I hear that. I don't want to yeah. just undermine him. I don't want to make him look awful from the beginning. Um, but, um, but I do realize that does make her look bad for that's as much the problem. as he sounds reasonable. So that has, yeah. yeah. So she is talking about the strings attached and how she just can't accept things with strings, but I can make a few more explicit references to his land and under his protection and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. If yes. the, the strings have, I think if the strings are a little bit more visible, even his attitude, like she can, she is, she can tell what's going on, right? She can tell what is, um, uh, she, she, she can tell the direction that this is heading in, right? She can just, she can just read this in him. Even could he be, okay. He doesn't have to be a jerk to her, but he can be more tactless maybe mm-hmm. uh, than he was. So like, for instance, one of the elements that I really like when he meets the dwarves later on and he totally like, you know, poo poos the orc invasion, Right. Oh, yeah. Like there were just a few of them, whatever. Like we handled them easily. Um, if he says anything that smells even vaguely like that to Holith. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, oh, yes, these orcs are easily slain. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like basically if 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 it's clear that I mean, so on the one hand, he is impressed with her and we don't want to undermine that because I agree with you. Like he he really is impressed at what she's done. Um but at the same time, he didn't think those orcs were a huge threat. Um, and if she could get a feel of his of that like of that kind of cockiness, that kind of uh, and, and, and therefore be able to tell he's not really going to, you know, he's, he's certainly not going to treat us as equals. He's at the best, you know, going to treat us as, you know, uh, his subjects towards which he is perhaps kindly disposed at present. Um, and I don't want any part of that. Um, um, but yeah, there's no question. She yeah. would, she would maybe, maybe if she, you know, no, in the context, she wouldn't do it. I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm just trying to think of how to sort of establish the inequity a little bit more there. Um, oh, um, uh, Julie has a suggestion, um, saying, <laughs> you handled that almost like elves. You handled that almost <laughs> like elves. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's um. I was. Yeah. I, I wonder if some, we'll, yeah, like, that's that. good for a human mortal. Exactly. Pat, pat on the head. She's got <laughs> yeah. a sense. The pat on the head. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think related to that point of him being dismissive, maybe there could be some suggestion of like, of him not really needing, not really needing their help. That he that he views them as under his protection and like and he kind of is um, uh, he he sort of implies that like he'll do all the work yes and uh, yes. because there's really very little that they can contribute yeah mm-hmm. come live in the north and I'll take good care of you yeah I'll take right? care of you yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well he's okay. he's definitely talking to them more loudly and slowly than he normally <laughs> would. What, if he, uh, what if he insults the stockade. <laughs> uh. I mean, it was a big right. part There's of something the... something Yeah. Yeah. What, yes. what is... Oh, yeah. If he says something okay, like, yeah, I, if I you can... come live near Cape Helivorn, Cape Helivorn and, uh, you know, my people will help you build something 
far more safe than this rude structure. Yeah. We'll give yeah. you some real walls. Yeah, yeah. we can. We'll, we'll, yeah. or, or even like, we'll teach you how to build proper yeah. defenses for yourself. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and when we, when we think back to like how proud they were of the stockade that they had built together in the community moment, and he's yeah. all like, that's cute. It really, no, it's, it's adorable, so, but you know, it's a miracle well, you lasted as long as you did <laughs> right behind such shoddy defenses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah. That's wooden, you know, real elves build with stones. So. Right. 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 Um, yeah, yeah actually, yeah, I mean, I will, um, even in expressing his, how, how impressed he was, I mean, he could say something like, I can't believe you held out as long as you did behind fortifications like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. also important right. to note that while while she's tall for a Haladin woman, Caranthir is likely a good bit taller than her. And yeah. so everything he says is going to have that kind of element of condescension. Yes. No matter what. Like and, when uh, you know, people that much taller than me talk to me, I always feel like they're talking to me like I'm a child. It's not fair to them, but it's true. And you know? that you know and then you you add obviously you know, like the, his clothing and his mm. you know, and his you know, his his armor and his weapons and his jewels. Um Yeah. 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 I mean it's Spo- spoiler alert, in episode six we have Halif having a brief conversation with Thingle, who is, of course, <laughs> yeah, the tallest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so she just um, keeps meeting these very tall, very proud elves and wanting nothing to do with them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Thingle, for yeah. That it's okay. We we got it. It's fine. Right. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to. Th- I didn't know that Thingol was in person going to come in here. That that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. There's okay. reasons. Yep. No, it's got. I, I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay. Okay. Good. No, I, excitement. 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 Arthel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get there. Okay. So this was one a, more plot line left. The C plot. And um, this one was a bear. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot being juggled in this one. Um, well, this this. This plot in particular was an absolute bear because, like, first thing, we didn't have a lot of time to to tell any kind of story right. with Arathel and Ale, and there really isn't any story. Like, nothing's happening. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, right. they have a conversation with dwarves that sends off a few red flags. Yeah. Right, right. Um, um, it is important for the. It's a, it's a really important point, though, in the progression of not only mm-hmm. Aradel and Ael's relationship, but Aradel's own personal plot line. Right. I mean, right. this is pretty much the closest she's ever going to get to actually being able to even set out to do what she wants to do. Right. 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 Um, and we see him shut her down. As soon as she actually tries to implement it, right. So by so following, we had to talk over. Go Speaking ahead. of talking over, say, go ahead. Talk over. Sorry, no, no, no. no. I think my connection's slow, and I'm. It's okay. Out. It's okay. Um. How far Ale was going to go to prevent her from doing things, and what his reasoning was, and how much Arabelle would figure out about him thwarting her, mm-hmm. like that was his. It's one thing for the audience to see the red flags, but how much does Aradel figure out? Right. Here? 
So and we did make the choice that the audience knows more than Arabelle now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And it was, you know, when, when this had originally been floated, this, I, the idea for that's behind this story, um, there was some suggestion that he uses the fact that she can't speak Kuzul to, to, you know, to, to hide things from her. But the problem is the dwarves can speak Cinder, right? They can talk to her. Like, that's not a problem. Um, so we had to find a way to to work that in to give him a chance to deceive her in some way right? without it being... Like, basically, the and one of the important things that I like about what Marie did with this is she makes the the guy who's in charge of the dwarves kind of slimy so yes. like when when Ael says what he says to him he doesn't push back on it at all mm-hmm. he doesn't try to he doesn't, he doesn't go like um excuse me miss your husband over here is telling me some weird <laughs> stuff are you okay right. like exactly. he's not going to get yeah. involved in whatever they've got happening it's not yeah. his problem yeah he doesn't care right? Right, yeah. and it's not part of, like it doesn't go to his profit motive in any way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He, um, he is someone who is most motivated by what he can get out of his relationships with people. So if he could get something out of Arathel, he'd be very interested. Ail's telling him that Arathel's useless to him, so he accepts that seemingly, but he does take the time to question Karanthir later like hey do you know this person i met because if it turns out the answer is yes suddenly she's worthwhile again right 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 and when Karanthia's <laughs> like i don't know that name then he's like oh okay never mind she's useless right and right yeah and one of the you know one of the things that i really like about following the the exploits of this this small group of dwarves is it allows us to once again get you know I, I, I always like to get some dwarvish plot lines in, right? Um, you know, um, but also it gets us Caranthir at the beginning of the story, mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. he's not coming into this story out of nowhere. He's an actual character in it, right? Right. Um, and establishing ex- the fact that he doesn't usually travel down to the southern parts of his right. domain. Uh, so, you know, there could be who knows what down there that he's unaware of. Yeah, no, I, I, right. I, I did like that. Right. Um, and it gives us a chance at the end of the episode to kind of revisit the the Aeol Aradel plot lines outside of their influence. Because the problem is that Ail's not going to talk about his deception with anybody. Right. Arathel can't be so far along in her suspicions that she's talking about it with anybody. Right. So what we don't get, what do we get? We don't get anything. And right? that one moment, I, I thought it was really cunningly handled, honestly. I thought you did a great job, Maria. I, I really admired this a lot. Like the one, it's it's just the one thing, right? One single Kuzdul remark that he makes, um, which he is untruthful to her about later on, right? Um, mm-hmm. Manages to establish that gap, and um, and it's you know it's it's plausible that you know he's able to to give a plausible explanation for it, um, 
and even a plausible explanation that shuts down her objections without, um, mm-hmm. you know, making her suspicious that he's hiding something. Um, yeah. uh, you know, but also cueing in the viewer, uh, you know, cre- opening that gap between, um, uh, you know, so he's not going, you know, Nick, as you say, he's not going to, um, you know, he's not going to take anyone into his confidence about, you know, what he's doing with her, um, right. nor is he going to, you know, monologue to the camera, uh, you know, like a Shakespearean villain uh, about <laughs> what his plans are. Um, so opening up a gap like that where he betrays himself through a remark that he makes without, but, but it has to be done in such a way that she couldn't figure it out or she looks dumb. Right. Right. And she only, he only betrays himself to us. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Nick and Rihanna and I had to talk this scene over a bunch of times because at first we were trying to have have, like the whole thing happening, Kuzdal and Arathel and Ailes discussing things in Quenya on the sides so the dwarves wouldn't understand. It was just like, no one was speaking the same language, so no one was communicating, and I couldn't right. write anything into the scene. It was terrible. <laughs> um, so that needed some reworking. Um, yeah. And so eventually we came up with this Karanthir storyline where it would seem obvious to the audience why Ale wants to sh- shut it down there, right. because we know he hates the Melbourne, mm-hmm. and we know he doesn't get along with them. And suddenly she's trying to go off and use her connections to the Noldor to do her whole dwarf plot right. instead of what they discussed where he's the ambassador yeah. who would go mm-hmm. off and be the important person. Yeah. Yeah. Which was the only part of her plans that he ever liked. The part where it was all about him. Right. Yeah. And and one thing I really like about this is the fact that he's isolating her. He's isolating her from her family, yes, but he's also isolating her even from the dwarves by yes. saying, No, 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 you insulted them. Right, and it's like textbook narcissist, you know. Like it's it's absolutely textbook. Right. The idea that this person is 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 going to say, "Oh, yeah, no, your friends don't really like you. You know, your family doesn't care about you. You know, I'm the only one. I'm the I'm the only one from whom you're going to get get um, emotional support and satisfaction." I guess it should bother me that that wasn't that difficult to write. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I really love, I mean, I, I thought it was a very, I mean, you know, I, it's interesting to hear how hard you guys worked on that because I thought it worked really, really well. I was, I was yeah. super impressed by that scene. Um, the, cause it was very, Oh, also her name. Uh, the the business with her name I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Not only because it 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 enabled to a little bit of doubt when he when the dwarf meets Karen there, right? So you know right. he doesn't actually give the name that he knows. Um, but that moment when the dwarf calls her by this name that she doesn't really recognize, and so she's like, "Oh, huh, that's a little bit weird." But she accepts it, you know, because mm-hmm. she's trying to be polite to the dwarves. Um, but yeah, just the way that that moment came in as, and again, as a, like a, you know, he's just named her, right? So that's, that's significant, right? You know, that, that's an important moment. Um, and she's gone along with it um, without being creeped out by it because she didn't really fully understand the significance of it. And I, the, there was a lot that I really liked about that. Yeah, that some of the significance there might change. I have to work with Rihanna and if, um, I think she wanted to use Arfinial as 
Arabelle's nickname in Gondolin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She became the white lady there. And then so there's an identity issue in Nanelmoth or something where mm -hmm. Arabelle has to figure out who she is when she marries Ayo. Right. But I haven't got the details yet to know how to work it into the script, so I haven't uh, right. quite. But either way, it's something that, that Karen there himself. I, I do think we're going to use it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a it's a fairly recent thing, and it's something that is Ale controlling her identity. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is what I was going for. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, but yeah, I might have to tweak her reaction a little. <laughs> right. That, that element of it, I liked. Um, definitely. Definitely. No, so those, I mean, those, because those, those are the two big red flags that we were throwing up for the audience with Ale. Right. The, you know, his obvious mm -hmm. dishonesty to her, uh, you know, and with the, and the way that he was manipulating the situation when he spoke that one line in Kuzdul and then her name. Mm -hmm. And the, but they're both like very much sufficiently they're like sufficiently subtle. Both of them are sufficiently subtle uh, as to not just, you know, blow the game wide open. And I liked the reconciliation at the end. Right. You know, she's not dumb. She she could tell that what he said was significant and changed the way yeah. that the dwarves were responding, right? Mm -hmm. So she presses him on that, but his answer is a plausible answer. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it the was... The audience knows he's lying, but she doesn't. But she doesn't. And it's, it is a plausible answer. She has not ever dealt with dwarves before and can see that they're very different. And And, of course... Even we, as the audience members, know, like, wait, so the dwarves are, like, easily offended? Yeah, they're easily offended. Like, that's totally, that, that totally tracks, right? Um, so uh, everything about what he says is very plausible. And, and, uh, and we're, uh, apart from that, I mean, we know it to be untrue, but. And given that they know how Caranthir feels about the Noldor, Mm -hmm. It seems likely to me that the dwarves would be kind of like really confused and puzzled as she's mm -hmm. laying out this information. Right. So the, to them, like this is completely new information, and so they're going to be kind of troubled and confused. Right. Which would further support this, you know, this um, this lie that Ail um, is telling her. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah, their their own reactions could be reinterpreted very plausibly in exactly the way that he that he describes. So yeah, no, I because I, I mean that's of course the other risk, um, the you know the risk of opening up, you know, beginning to open up that gap of understanding how we understand more than she does without making her look dumb or right. a pushover. Um, uh, I I found their like reconciliation scene at the end, although of course like the creepy factor with. Uh, you know, Ale has gone way, way, way up because we know he's lying now for sure. Um, and we can begin to see the pattern of how he's trying to control her and control the situation. Um, but yet again, I, I, I bought it. I could easily imagine how even somebody who is, you know, strong, determined, intelligent, um, as we have depicted Aravel, could could accept that, could buy that and and could be successfully manipulated in the way that he was doing. So I, I, you know, you guys, you know, you said how hard this C plot was to do. I thought it, you guys accomplished a, a remarkable amount, especially the way that it really, that it tied Carinthia in. It not only gave, I mean, of course, like it, the book doesn't explain why Carinthia shows up, you know, in the mm -hmm. nick of time. 
right? Um, but you yep. guys gave an explanation for why, like, you know, A, why did he not notice the orc invasion in the first place? Uh, because it came in the part of his realm that he, you know, doesn't visit very doesn't often. Doesn't care about uh, exactly. the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. And then, but secondarily also, you gave an explanation for why on that day of all days, you know, like at that time, he decides to, to, to go down there. Um, I was not expecting when we, you know, started the sea plot. I was not, I mean, I began to suspect when Carinthir started talking about visiting the south of his realm, but, um, uh, but I, you know, when the sea plot began, We've had like dwarf sea plots before, you know, yeah. uh, and I did not expect that it was going to be so directly like looping back into the a plot in the way that it did, yeah. and I thought that that was really that that was really cool, as well as of course the way that it you know that it did double duty in accomplishing, um, you know what it accomplished with Arthel uh, and Aeol. Yeah, there was no scene economy in the rest of the entire episode. There had to be really <laughs> tight scene economy in the sea plot. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. That works. That works. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's, I, it's, I tried it's a little long. I tried very hard not to spend a lot of scenes. Uh, my my I pushed back pretty heavily against the idea of spending a lot of time on pre net pre current present day Halloween. Um, but I was won over, um, you know, with a with a chance. This is probably the only chance to do out of gas, and so <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. And 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 I do, you know, I do think that it's important. Um, I do think that it is important because of the, um, as you guys were saying, we're not going to. This is going to be our only real shot at a glimpse of what life is like for the Adine out mm-hmm. from under the Elvish protection until, mm. um, you know, until the House of Beor gets to Ladros, really. Mm. Um, because, the, I mean, yeah, yeah, we'll see them in Estelad, we'll see them at the council and stuff, but that's not going to be the emphasis, right? We'll get glimpses of what, you know, their big settlement is like. Um, but mm. we're not really going to get a taste for, um, again, it, the... The homesteading part of it, right? The, like, we are coming to this wild country and we are carving out our home. I think that that's a really important element to introduce. Uh, it's not just a question of, well, we're here and now we must negotiate the political realities of Beleriand and, to, mm-hmm. you know, what what is the relationship yeah. we're going to have with the elves? Um which is totally dominating the Hador and Beor plots, you know, yeah. in this part of the season. Um, so... I do think it's worth it for that reason to give that uh, much clearer glimpse. Um, and especially with Karanthir, again, the, the, the nice thing about involving Karanthir in the C plot is that he's one of the biggest possible contrasts, right? You know, the lavish court of uh, Karanthir, you know, not only in his extravagantly impressive stone fortifications, but with his you know, uh, dripping with jewels and, uh, you know, him acting like a magnate, you know, up there in the, yeah. in, in the Northeast compared to the lounging sideways in his, <laughs> yes. in his throne. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Compared with, you know, the hard life that, you know, yeah. Haldad and, and his people are trying to, to, to carve out down there. Um, so I, that, that, that feels like a really important thing, uh, to try to accomplish. It's not, be, because also it's not only 
that the humans are like more primitive, right? It's not only that, that they are so much rougher and less polished and less accomplished than the elves, though obviously we show that as well in that contrast. Um, but just the, the whole sort of attitude of things, right? The kind of entitlement that Carinthier has towards the world, right? Compared to, yeah. um, you know, the we're making it work, you know, by you know, uh, teamwork and, and, you know, uh, togetherness, uh, that we see with the Haladin. So we've, we've talked it. a lot about that. Um, and I think we're going to get into this more in episode six, but the fact that the world is constantly trying to kill humans, mm-hmm. like there's an adversarial relationship there that the elves do not have. Like even the civilized elves, who are living in these stone fortresses and stuff, they're not living in antagonism with the world around them in the same way that we do. Right, right. You right. know, like, they're, I, I, I am all about taking steps to make sure that, like, the world's still here for our <laughs> kids and all that. Um, but there has been, there have been people who have said that, well, you know, if, if you know, if the earth is, is, uh, is suffering because of what we did. Well, Mother Nature started it, you know. <laughs> and then certainly that kind of a that 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 is going to be their experience contrasted with the elves. Absolutely. Right. I mean, they, they right. are. Um, it's a hard world that they're living yeah. in. Even the same, like again, in the same land, like they're in the same mm-hmm. place practically, Carinthier yeah. and yeah. the Holodin. And yet, this very land, which is. Um, uh, you know, which is the this 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 hard world in which they're trying to scrape out a living is like his luxury hunting preserve, you know. So yeah. um so yeah yeah, I mean because you're right. I mean, even with the um the relationship with the natural world is just fundamentally different for the elves. You know, the way yeah. that they interact with in part because their bodies function differently from ours, you know, like they, yeah. you know, from human bodies, they don't, um, you know, and they're, they're able to coax more cooperation from the world than we are. Yes. And they don't, they, and they're not as needy, right. They can go longer without food. You know, they can, they can, uh, recover more easily from, from, from hurt. Um, they walk on top of snow. They're, they're fighting a lower stakes, you know, fight, against uh against nature in that way than we are and and also with advantages you know as you suggest so so yeah no i do i do like that i do like showing that um you know i mean we've been talking about some of the ways in which we want to highlight during season 5 the very different perspectives of humans and elves like the the ways in which it is just a different world for humans than it is uh for elves and that seems like a really important element to to get across and a a Mm. cool opportunity to do it and and i love like on an anthropological level the way that we've been able to differentiate between the different cultures of humans Mm -hmm. even you have this very like like the first group of humans we meet are just travelers like they're just scraping by enough to get to the next place right Right. and then we meet the haladin who are homesteaders right and then you meet the the to be house of hador who are these traveling herders and we we did a whole bunch of world building for the house of hador which i'm I'm super excited to get into (laughs) um six is going to be the council right episode six is the council yes yeah Okay, yes. I thought so. Correct. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, um, episode five is from the Elvish perspective, so we will see those men, but not understand them the way we will once we get into Hotter story. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so a little glimpse ahead. So we're we're pretty much done because I think the next thing we have is the frame, which I'm going to save. We're going to save the frame for yeah. next time. Um, but um, just glancing ahead, right? So episode five is going to be uh, what's coming up on episode five. I mean, we already talked about it, so it's not like a spoiler. Right. We already talked about the outline, right. but I'm forgetting. Um, uh, five, because episode- we're, we're not continuing with Haleth right away, right? I think we are. Isn't are we? going through Nundungathed in that's, episode that's, five? That's episode five? Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. I couldn't remember whether we did it in one solid arc or whether we leave her and come and, back. Um, and we have Galadriel uh, meeting um, the the meeting men for the first time. Right. Uh, the Galadriel the and Celeborn honeymoon trip, right? Yeah. 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 And, uh, it's, you know, again, that was a great kind of examination into what that world is like mm-hmm. what the humans mm-hmm. world is like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be fun awesome great okay so that's what's going to be coming up in episode 5 and then episode 6 will be the council so uh, yeah. great great excellent mm-hmm. um, awesome okay so we'll do, next time we're going to do two things we're going to do specifically we're going to be looking at the frame we've kind of fallen behind we haven't even done any of the discussed any of the frames yet uh, so we're going to do the first four frames uh, frames uh, segments and we're also going to talk a little bit more broadly we, we touched on it um, I, I, I started brainstorming about this semi-spontaneously during the uh, um, casting discussion when we were talking about uh, casting the uh, the Haradrim for the frame um, but I want to I want to work that up a little bit more so we're going to talk about the culture of Harad and think about um, what that's going to look like and what we want to be conveying and how we want to think a little bit more about the big picture of the uh, the whole uh, mouth of Sauron uh, uh, you know uh, intervention there into Hared. Um and and we'll look specifically at at least the first four. Maybe we can even look ahead towards number five. Um, uh, who know? Who, who knows? Maybe we'll get frisky. Uh, and uh, but anyway, we can um, uh, we can think about that um, for next time. So so we're gonna we're gonna be thinking about the Haradrim a lot, and we'll be and we'll be working on the frame uh, next time, and then after that we'll come back to. Uh, we'll come back to the uh, episode five. So our next session will be on Thursday, February 25th at 10 p.m. Eastern time. So we are um, back on our regular schedule here. So that'll be good. Discussing the culture of Herod and the frame. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Thanks for your contributions. Marie, thank you so much for uh, your work writing that script. That was great. It's a It's a really good one. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, awesome. I'm glad you liked it. I was I was a little worried, Dave, because I know how much health is important to you, so I, I wanted to make sure that <laughs> yeah. something you would enjoy. Home run. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in a couple weeks, and I will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed. <laughs>